Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 214, How to End Unwanted Habits and Anxiety, The No Willpower Way. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. In today's episode, I am sharing um, a free class that I taught uh, just recently. And I taught this class in celebration of the five-year anniversary of the Little School of Big Change. So the Little School of Big Change turned five in June, actually, um, of 2022. The very first class was in June of 2017. And it's kind of crazy. It's been so crazy to look back at the past five years and take stock of all that's happened. It's, it's really easy, I think, to, um, to take things for granted. For me, it is to just be so immersed in this conversation, so immersed in my everyday coaching and conversation with people in the community and my coaches. And we just speak this language and we just see life in this way. And, and I forget that everyone doesn't. And I forget that we used to not, you know, I forget that people are still out there pushing against life and really believing that's the only way that change happens. And I mean, you know, I forget and I don't forget, but it's really easy to just go along with this flow of life and never really look back. And honestly, I'm not a big look back person. I'm not really a big look forward person anymore. Um, but I have a business team who who encourages me to do such things every once in a while. And and it's kind of crazy. It's 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 kind of helpful and it and it shocks me. And so um so we looked back for the five year anniversary and said, like, what was happening in 2017 with this message, with this movement, with uh the reach, you know, all of that and what's happening now. And um this podcast didn't exist and it's now had over a million downloads. Uh, there's a couple new books since then and a lot of new languages. The books have been translated into five or six different languages. The new, the no willpower approach that's shared in the little school of big change has reached uh, from our estimations anyway, over a hundred thousand people and we know that there are people from 55 countries uh, who have been through the school and, and over 700 people have been part of the graduate community. And we've had some incredible guest speakers over the years in the community. Uh, there's just so much, so much has happened. And I'm really grateful for it. And, and it's really cool to see that, that this can be forgotten, <laughs> meaning that we're so sort of immersed and even just those of you listening to this podcast, if you've never been through the school, if you've never done anything with me besides listen to this podcast, uh, there's still a language, you know, there's still some shared understanding, some different grounding that I think like even the world didn't really have five years ago. It's really cool to see that. And, and it doesn't take much. It's like, we just look in this direction and keep exploring and this stuff becomes second nature. And initially, it never feels like it will. It doesn't. Initially, I know for me, it absolutely didn't. It's like, wow, could life really feel like that? Like, could it, could it, could it, it really look 
and this is how I would have said it, you know, back in the early days for me, like, could life truly look inside out most of the time? And it, and it does. And it doesn't mean that there's not struggle and there's not suffering and there's not problems and issues. Of course there are. But everything looks flipped. It really does look different. It looks inside out first. It looks like this world that we're living in is a projection of thought. And again, that doesn't mean we always like the projection. I don't always like the projection, but I know that's what it is. And it and that's unshakable. Um, and that's pretty awesome. And not just for me, for a lot of people. So many people have maybe even have habits still arise, maybe even have anxiety or whatever they came into the school over the past five years still show up. But they, it just looks so different. Like, okay, here's what's here right now. The degree to which this stuff looks like a problem is so much less. The degree to which it looks personal is so much less, which is huge, huge. The degree to which it looks like something that must change so I can be okay, not, not really, not so much anymore. And that's, that's pretty awesome. So in celebration of the five-year anniversary, I did this free class and it, and it was mostly geared toward um, people who are new to this, who haven't been through the school. Although if you've been through it, give it a listen. I'm sure you'll hear something new. But I just briefly kind of go through um, three examples, one around procrastination, one around binge eating, and one around anxiety to show how the no willpower approach or the little school, a big change way of supporting people through these things is so different from everything else that's out there and why it's been so effective, why it has caught on to the extent that it has and why the people who have looked in this direction, so many of them continue to stay in this conversation and continue to explore it. So that's what you'll hear is um, the audio of this class that I taught. and. Um, Again, if you're brand new to this, I think uh, just listen with an open mind and see what you hear. And if you're old to this, listen with an open mind and see what you hear because there's always, always more to be hearing, which is really incredible. And if you have questions, particularly if you're brand new to this, I know when I say it in the class, like your mind's going to have a field day with this. The mind is going to say, don't get it. And that's so vague. And how, 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 how? It always wants to know how. (laughs) What's this going to look like? How does that work? So know that that's part of it. You don't have to send me every, every single how question that arises. But if you're new to this, if you can sense where I'm pointing, but but you want to talk it out a little bit or you want to see things more clearly, just reach out, reach out and, and we can chat a little bit. You know, we can have a little email, we can have a little back and forth. I'll for sure encourage you to go through the spring course or sorry, the September course, because there is no better way. I mean, this six week course is without question the best way I know to give anyone a solid grounding in this, like a foothold that's going to continue to grow, no question. But this little six-week immersion is just the best start. So just be forewarned, I will recommend that. (laughs) But I would love to hear from you and I'd love to hear what, you know, what feels hopeful or what feels uh, suspicious or, or questionable or just where, where your mind goes when you hear some of this, particularly if you're, if you're brand new to it. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. Um, I'm really excited to share with you. I haven't 
done a, a call like this in a little bit. So I'm, I'm excited to get to talk with you. And uh, I'm doing this in celebration of the five-year anniversary of the Little School of Big Change, which was uh, this summer. It was actually in June was the first class. June of 2017 was the very first class ever. Um, so it's been five years and a lot has happened in five years. And I'll just say a little bit for those of you who I know many of you know a lot about the school, uh, but maybe some of you don't. And the little school, a big change is, uh, it's a, it's a lot of things. It's a course, but it's also kind of a movement and it's definitely a community. And it's just a lot of, a lot of, uh, amazingness has happened there in five years. So this, the school is a six-week course that helps people find freedom from unwanted habits and anxiety. And I created it in uh, the first course ran again in June of 2017 on the heels of my book, The Little Book of Big Change, um, because that book was having a lot of impact for people and people wanting to go deeper and be coached and led through what was shared in that book. Um, and so today, the school is still a six-week course that I lead and guide people through twice a year. Um, but there's also this incredible graduate community where over 700 people have been part of the graduate community, and many of them have been part of it for a really long time. Maybe some of you are part of it now, uh, where we keep exploring these ideas. It's also spawned, uh, there's been another book, the books that are out have been translated into a bunch of languages in the last five years. Um, the podcast has come along, which I think we recently hit a million downloads, which is kind of crazy. Um, people from 55 countries have been through the Little School of Big Change, which is my favorite part. <laughs> I love I love looking at the map and we have a map in our home room of all the different places where uh, where people live who have been through the school. If you're just coming in, just mute yourself if you could. Um, and then we'll definitely have time at the end for some questions and I, you can, we can unmute in a little bit. Um, so yeah, so much, it's reached so many people and so much has happened in five years and it's, it's, um, it's really kind of amazing. I don't know. It's, it's crazy what's shared there and what I'm going to start to share a little bit here is still groundbreaking and really, really different. And that, that's hard for me to remember sometimes because I just live in this. And maybe for many of you who have been around this for a long time, um, you know, at least for the five years since the school has been around, we get kind of used to seeing life in, in this new way, in this way that, that we're going to explore. Um, and I know for me, for sure, I can take it for granted. So it's interesting to kind of look and say, no, when you look out at the world, still most of the world, when there's a habit that's causing someone uh, pain and suffering, when there's anxiety, when there's depression, when there are things about us in our life that we want to change, the predominant way to try to make things change is by trying to force and manipulate life to be different than it is. And I call that willpower. We can call it all kinds of things, but it's by muscling through, it's by thinking up and trying to put strategies into action, it's by white knuckling, it's by forcing, it's by discipline, effort, changing our thoughts, trying to feel differently. There's nothing wrong with all of these things I'm saying. Like this is what humans do, you know? We don't like something and so in our mind, we formulate a way to make it be different. There's nothing inherently wrong with that 
It's just that it doesn't lead to lasting change. And I think every single one of us knows that. I mean, how many times have we tried so hard? We just say, okay, this time's going to be different or starting Monday, it's all going to change or starting on January 1st, it's all going to change. And, and we do everything we've been taught to do really, really well. So you get the accountability buddies and you make the schedules and you download the right apps and you try to change your thoughts and you do all the kind of quote unquote right things. And what I think we've all experienced, I know I have many, many times over, is it feels like it's sort of working for a short amount of time and then it doesn't. And then what happens when it doesn't work anymore, when these strategies that were promised, like this is how you change, when they don't work anymore, it all comes back on us. And we think, what's wrong with me? I'm not changeable. I'm doing something wrong. It works for everyone else. I must not be working hard enough. I must not be doing it right. And so not only are we not changed in the way that we were hoping to change, now we're full of hatred and shame and feeling not good enough. And like somehow this works for the rest of the world, but I'm different and it's not working for me. And I mean, I went through that for years, trying to change eating disorders, trying to think my way and pep talk my way out of anxiety, out of feeling not good enough. And I know I'm not alone in there in that. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see, and it's really easily remedied. That's the good news, you know, is that all of this is rooted in just some really, really simple misunderstandings about how we work as humans and about how change happens and how change works. So that's what we talk about in the Little School of Big Change. It's what we explore. It's, it's why this program is different than everything else that's out there. And it's why in the past five years, it's been so helpful and so effective and why so many people want to stick around in the conversation and just keep seeing more, you know, things keep getting better. So that's what I'm going to talk about. I want to... Um, I want to do that by walking through a few examples of, and it's going to be very high level. So this is just going to kind of give you a feel, I hope, for how the little school of big change way or the no willpower way is different and why it works and why it's so helpful versus kind of our typical ways. Um, so it'll be a little high level and just give you a sense sense of that. And then there'll be lots of chances to learn more if you if you're interested in that. I also am hoping to save some time at the end of this call for some questions. So I'm hoping to, yeah, maybe save 15 minutes or so. So if you have a question about anything that I'm sharing or uh, want to ask about how this relates to you, there hopefully will be some time for that. Okay. Um, I also want to mention that because this is all kind of in celebration of the five-year anniversary of the school, we're also doing something else uh, that we've never done before, which is letting people start the little school of big change absolutely free with no obligation. Um, typically, you either join the course or you do the self-study or you don't. <laughs> so uh, especially for those of you who have not been through the school at all, this is an amazing opportunity to kind of go through the first several lessons and really sort of get a feel for how it works and how it runs. And, and we're excited to be able to kind of share that for free for the first time. So uh, after this free class, you'll get an email that'll show you how you can start the school today for free if you're intrigued by what you hear here and you want to try that out. 
So, um, so as I mentioned, you know, most of, most of the ways that we go about change, if we're trying to change something, it's almost always by what I would call willpower. Now, again, we think of willpower as, as white knuckling through an urge or a craving, you know, just sitting there or some anxiety or some depression or anything kind of sitting there like really clenched and tight and like, it's almost over. I can make it, you know, just hold out a little longer. That's for sure willpower. It's what we often think of. Or maybe you think of, um, you know, coming up with plans and strategies, like think like New Year's resolution kind of things, you know, here are the things I'm going to change. I'm going to go to the gym four days a week and come Tuesday, you're over the gym already, but you're going to go anyway, because you said you would. And that type of pushing and forcing, those are kind of the typical examples, I think. Um, But I think of willpower really in in a much broader way. And I think we can, we can think of it as anything that kind of pushes against what wants to happen. Anytime when us, with our thinking, with our personal thinking and our mind, when we're pushing against trying to manipulate, trying to force, trying to make life show up in some way other than how it's showing up. So that, that expands things quite a bit. It includes the white knuckling and the strategies and all of that. But you know, it's also like trying to think different thoughts. That seems sort of like a good idea. It seems kind of enlightened, maybe even a little bit, a little bit wiser than white knuckling, let's say. But still, we're, we're in the content of our thinking saying to ourselves, no, that's not a good way to think about this. I'm going to do it this other way. And, and there's not, again, I can't say enough. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of this stuff that I'm mentioning. Um, it's just that it isn't what leads to deep, lasting change. It isn't what gives us a really deep sea change where, where life just looks and feels different. So there are the things, again, like trying to change our thoughts, trying to talk ourselves out of certain feelings, trying to avoid certain things in life. Um, there's a lot of things we do in sometimes subtle, sometimes really overt ways that are kind of trying to make life show up differently than how it is. And what I would kind of suggest is that those things don't work long-term. They do tend to work really well uh, initially for a very short amount of time, which again is kind of bad news because that gets us thinking, ooh, I did it. I powered my way through. I went to the gym three days this week. I'm for sure just gonna go the whole year. It's gonna be easy. And then we don't. And then it all becomes about us and our shortcomings and our weaknesses in our minds, you know? So, so that forcing and manipulation, it, it does sometimes feel like it works very, very short term, but it, it doesn't go deep enough. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it takes a lot of effort and, and it, uh, it can be again full of shame and it's very demoralizing and it and it's it's just trying to make things other than how they are the alternative is seeing that life isn't wrong as it is working with life 
rather than trying to force life to be some other way. It's amazing that willpower approaches don't work because they don't work because life is too smart and too intelligent and too wise for that. We, we were not designed, I don't believe at all that we're here to work really hard and try to make things go our way so that we can have what we want. We all want to be happy. We all want peace of mind. We all want freedom from things that hold us back. But to take that on as our job, as, as from the place of life has it wrong, I'm going to make it go my way so that I can be happy. Thank God that doesn't work because it would be a full-time job for all of us our entire lives. And, and it is way better than that. It does not have to be that hard. So the alternative is kind of seeing that things are always showing up and they're always moving on their own, that we are healthy at our essence, that we are all one. There is this one energy that takes all kinds of different forms and shows up as thoughts and feelings and behaviors and habits and happiness and joy and all of it. And it all moves through completely on its own. None of it is wrong. None of it is personal. So none of it is showing up because of something that's wrong with you. None of it is about you. We simply live in this seamless flow of experience that is all over the place, that's full of variety, that's, that's full of all kinds of stuff that we get to feel and see and, and be in the experience of. And it's all moving and changing all by itself all the time. Now, it feels like it needs a lot of intervention when, when we're very identified with that experience as if it's us and ours and as if it's personal. So when we're really caught up in the stories our mind is telling or the behaviors we're doing or the feelings we're feeling, like I'm feeling too much shame or guilt today and I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be happy all the time or whatever these ideas are that we you did not come up with, by the way. People share, spread these rumors that we're supposed to always be happy. And, you know, we get these ideas from all over the place. But when it, basically what it all comes down to is when it looks like things are wrong, life has it wrong and it should be showing up differently for me, we're going to suffer. And when we're suffering in that, we're naturally going to try to change things to reduce our suffering. And that's what happens when we go to work trying to make all of these things be really different. So there's, um, there's a lesson and an animation in the Little School of Big Change that's a, a favorite for a lot of people. And it's, it's called The Rushing River. And it's a, there's an animation, ver- animated kind of short little version of it where there's this river and it's just flowing and flowing and flowing. And that's kind of how life is. That's how our experience is. It's always moving, always flowing. New stuff's coming along all the time. But in the animation, there's this lady on the side of the, of the, the banks of the river with a bucket. And she scoops up some of the river in her bucket. And in that one little bucket of river, of water that she scooped up, there's, there's stuff in there she doesn't like. So in terms of us in our life, it's like, 
Yeah. Say you take a random snapshot of some experience and, oh, I ate too much or I shouldn't be feeling this anxiety. I should, should, should be free or I should be doing more of these things in life and I'm not doing them. Whatever it is that pains us, that we think is a problem for us, too much of this feeling, not enough of that feeling. In this little bucket, that's like a moment in time. And I know it's habitual. I know it keeps coming back. So it doesn't feel like a moment in time, but just play along with this. It's like this river of life is just moving through us, moving everything, changing everything all on its own. And we're there on the banks of the river with this bucket saying, but look, look what's in here. This is a problem. This shouldn't be. I shouldn't have done that. Or I should be past this by now. Or this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't feel this way. And it's like we're carrying this bucket through life, showing everybody, look, this is me and this is my problem. And that's how it feels for us. We get so identified with our thoughts, our feelings, that who we think we are, all this stuff our mind is constantly talking about. We get so identified with, with the content and the behaviors and the psychology and what's coming down that river that we innocently, and we do this so innocently, we carry that bucket around and we're showing everybody and we're saying, I have a problem. Here's proof of it. Meanwhile, the river keeps on flowing. Meanwhile, you go back to that river, you can't find that water that you, that you picked up because it's way downstream by now. And there's new stuff coming all the time. And I know a mind can argue with this, but tr- and of course it can. Your mind will be able to argue with anything I'm sharing. <laughs> and there's lots of arguments back, which we won't get into, but that's just how a mind is. A mind will say, no, this is real. This is in my bucket and it's a problem and I need you to show me how to fix it. I can't just go back to the river because this is here and it's, it's problematic and it's about me and it needs to change. And yet, what we've seen in the Little School of Big Change for five years with thousands and thousands of people is when we go back to the river and we get this bigger sense that it's all moving, it's all flowing, it's all changing. It's not about us the way that our mind tells us it is. Our brain is designed to make everything about us. It is, that does not mean it is. That's just a function of the brain. As people see that, everything loosens up a little bit. And yes, thoughts you don't like and feelings you don't like and behaviors you don't approve of still show up. They still flow down that river. But, but when they're flowing down the river and they're just seen as, okay, this is just experience. This isn't me. This isn't something I need to put in a bucket and then go take to therapy and fix and figure out. It's just what's arising. It's just what's here right now. As we wake up to that and we get a feel for that more and more, there's nothing holding these habits and anxiety together. So again, we do things, we engage in behaviors or we feel anxious or whatever, and our mind will say, not okay, I don't like that. But when we see that as part of the seamless flow of life, it just seems to flow much more quickly. And we aren't so fixated on it and we aren't trying to fix it and tell everybody about it and beat ourselves up for it. And that's when things fall away. That's when anxiety, you can feel some anxious feelings. You can feel the beginning of a panic attack and it's like, okay, here's what's arising. And I know that feels, might sound really extreme to those of you. And I had panic attacks for many years. So I, I know that feels, sounds crazy. It sounds really extreme, but it's truly how it can be can be like, okay, here's some energy rather than, 
oh my God, another panic attack. What am I going to do? How do I change it? How do I change my thoughts? You know, that keeps us in this clench sense around it. As we relax, as we are just more in the river of life, even habitual stuff shows up and just looks different. It's allowed. It's not resisted. It's not fought against. It doesn't need to change. And so when there's not all this pressure on it, because we are healthy by nature, life just moves it along and brings new stuff all the time. If you like look at a kid, kids don't get fixated on why they did what they did or why did they eat so much sugar yesterday or why aren't they exercising more? They don't, or why did I feel this, all this feeling? What's it mean about me? There's not that attention to it. And so everything just flows and they still have a huge variety of experience but they aren't fixated on it, trying to change it the way that we adults can be sometimes. And so it just doesn't become the problem for them that it does for us. So I'm going to briefly kind of talk through a few different examples so you can kind of get a sense of, again, how, how we might go about trying to change things kind of out in the world, the sort of traditional ways and how we do it differently from this understanding in the Little School of Big Change. So the first um, habit example I want to give is one of uh, someone who had a procrastination habit. And this is all always kind of their words. So, and there's been many of them. I'm just kind of thinking of some, some uh, prototypes of people who've, who've been through the school over the years. So one person in particular, Jennifer, I'll talk about, came to the school. And again, there have been hundreds who have come to the school for procrastination. So she uh, had a list of things, a running list of things in her head that she should be doing and that she wasn't doing. She should be exercising regularly. She should be organizing. That was a big one for her. Her house should be cleaner. It really, really should be cleaner. And anyone would agree, (laughs) according to Jennifer, this is not a subjective thing. It looked absolutely real. Uh, I should be organized. I should be cleaner. I should be cooking more at home. I should be exercising more. I should be keeping up with my friendships better. There was a running commentary. And these were things that were really solid in her mind, absolutely should be happening. And they weren't happening. So of course, what does Jennifer do? Given that these look so solid and real and that Life would be easier and better for her if she did these things. She tries to do the things, of course, right? So she does all, she she comes up with the schedules. I'm going to clean on these days. I'm going to cook on these days. I'm going to exercise on these days. She downloads the apps. She gets, sets up all the little chimes and reminders and all the things. And she gets the accountability buddies and she tries to change her thinking. She, she tries to think nicer thoughts. Like if I could just see the benefits of organizing, I'm sure I'd organize more, which of course makes sense, right? Super logical. That's exactly what a mind would say. So she tries to talk herself into the benefits and she tries incentives and rewards and punishments and all, all the stuff. And this is what we do. And again, kind of the worst case scenario, which is the most common scenario is that some of the stuff appears to work for a little bit. (laughs) Now that's, I say that's the worst case scenario because what happens is she, you know, I don't know, sets up the system for organizing her basement. She gets a little bit of traction, gets some stuff done. 
And all of a sudden her mind is like, oh my God, you're a queen at this organizing. This works. You have it nailed. This will never be a problem again. Look how good you feel. And she feels really great about herself in her basement for a little while, except next week or next month, that same pressure strategy, that same uh, willpower focused strategy doesn't work for her. And now she's a big loser. And what's wrong with you? And it worked before. So it must be your fault. You must be doing it wrong or you must not be doing it with enough effort or, or whatever it is that our mind says. And this is, again, the, such a heartbreaking thing to see, uh, maybe just because I lived in this for so long. It just, it sucks. It's horrible to feel like I'm doing everything. I'm doing the best I can do and it's not good enough. And to feel like, and I don't know what else to do. Like, what else do you do, you know, besides work harder? And if your hardest isn't working for you, it just feels so hopeless. And that's where Jennifer was. And, and, you know, one of the first things she really started to see, what we helped her really kind of start to see, it's like, you aren't broken. This isn't a problem with you. It's just not because you aren't doing the right things. It's that you're trying to force something that maybe doesn't want to happen or it doesn't want to happen in the exact way your mind says it should be happening. You know, you're pushing against life. You're beating yourself up the whole way through, putting so much pressure innocently. And, I, and it's not that Jennifer was doing this to herself. It's that minds do this. Our mind does this to us. And, and when we believe all of our thoughts and we're really identified with them, we don't see that. We don't see that it's just a little little machine in our head talking like this, it just feels like obvious truth. And it did to Jennifer, clearly, you know, I should be able to do these things in life and, and life will be nicer when I do. So, so she started to see, wait a minute, maybe I'm not broken. Maybe I'm not the problem here. Maybe just the method and the forcing and the willpower is not what's going to do it. No, that's not the answer. And that that was huge, huge for her to just start, start to wake up to that. So we look a lot in the school at thought and how we live in a sea of thought and it doesn't look like thought. It doesn't feel like thought. It feels like clear and obvious truth. And this was really clear. And hopefully even just from the example of Jennifer, I mean, all of these things, you know, you might be thinking too, like, yeah, life would be nicer if you could just organize and exercise and cook and keep up with your friendships. These are the kinds of things that minds do. They, they make this checklist and they put our happiness on the line. In it. And it's all about us. And that's not because it's truly all about us. It's literally the way a brain works. You can read my book, Just a Thought, if you want more on all of this. I mean, it's the way that our brain has evolved to put us at the center and to just constantly try to keep this idea of a me safe and good enough and secure. And it makes up all of these things. If you just do this, you'll be better. If you just do that, you'll be better. And again, we, we get a little hooked on that feeling because we do organize or exercise or cook or whatever, and we do feel kind of better. But that's only because our mind is in there saying, see, you did it. Now you're a good girl. You know, Now you're a good boy. Now everything's going to be okay. So it's all thought. It's all thought the whole way through. And we just have a really hard time, I think, seeing that on our own. Me too. I needed help for someone. It's really hard to get in your own head 
and see it with any kind of distance or any kind of insight. You know, this is where why we even just talk to friends, why we find so much value in getting this stuff out of our heads and having another perspective on it. So Jennifer really started to see, oh my gosh, all of this, like I would, she said, I would wake up in the morning and have this running commentary of shoulds. And it felt like this crushing pressure. And then I just felt like I needed to go back to bed or just go watch Netflix or something. Well, of course you would too. Of course, this is what happens. When all of that feels so real and personal, we need to escape it. The last thing you're going to do is feel motivation to go do some stuff. And then what do we do? We come in with willpower, which takes a lot of energy and a lot of motivation. And we say, I'm feeling, you know, we don't say this, but what's happening is we're feeling so crushed by our own pressure and all of these shoulds and all of this shame And then we're supposed to find extra resources to make ourselves do something we don't truly want to do. It's crazy to think that this is how we we think change is going to work. And it's not our fault. I mean, this is just kind of, it's our misunderstanding about, about all of this, which is universal misunderstanding. So Jennifer explored this with us in the school in a million different ways. And again, we're, we're looking at, You're in the school with people with all kinds of issues, other people with procrastination habits, people who have a variety of habits, uh, different ways that anxiety shows up. And what we start to see over and over and over is how simple it all is, how for every single one of us, it's a bunch of thought that isn't seen as thought. You know, it's a mind thinking that it's keeping us safe and protecting us. And that we're buying it hook, line, and sinker, and we're super identified with it. But that's just what a mind does. It's not about us, and it's not about our life. And those are not the things that Jennifer needed to do to be happy. Jennifer is happy, and you are all happy, and I am happy by nature, by default. It has nothing to do with what we do in life. Nothing at all. But a mind likes to be in charge. It likes to control things. It like it, it's great. It, it's trying to protect us. It's trying to keep us safe. And it's a very busy bee. It's got a lot of energy. And it just wants to do, do, do to protect you and keep you safe. So it comes up with this stuff. And again, what we explore this in a lot of different ways in the school. But what happens is what happened for Jennifer is she started to just see this in a totally different way. Rather than I'm lacking and I don't, I need to force myself, I need to just buck up and like do these things so I can be okay. She saw, wait a minute, all of this action is mind activity. I'm already okay. And when she wasn't, she didn't feel okay, but that's because she was very caught up in these mind stories. When she started to flip the model and look at what's there by default, what's there by nature, and not believe everything her mind was telling her oh my gosh, this is what happens. I mean, it just gets so much easier, so much easier. And with procrastination, in Jennifer's case, she, she ended up doing so much more because action is our nature. Now, cleaning your basement every day and, and working out every day and cooking fresh meals for your family every day may not be your nature. That, that's stuff that, that Jennifer's mind made up. Those are things she saw in commercials or in magazines or wherever the heck we pick this stuff up. And those were standards her mind made up. But action, taking action and doing helpful things in life, that is our nature. And we will do things when we don't have all the pressure. 
So almost always procrastination is just a spinning around in our own mind-created pressure. And that as we see through that, a lot of action starts happening without needing to be forced. Okay, so that's, again, I'm gonna, I'll do two more, but I just want you to see if you can kind of get a feel for like, wow, this is a completely different way from how the typical, I don't know, book or person or whatever might, how we've all been taught to kind of go about trying to change. Really, really different. So the other, the next example I want to give is um, around binge eating. And I'm just going to speak from, even though I've worked with thousands of binge eaters, um, I'll speak for myself because I know my own experience better than anyone's. And and it's all very similar. And so, again, it, it's not really about what's what's happening. It's not about the habit. So as I'm even talking about this, when I talk about binge eating, you can, you can swap that in your mind with binge drinking or smoking or gambling or binge phoning, <laughs> whatever that's called, big on technology too much, like anything, any, any behavioral thing, any uh, substance related thing, it's all the same. And again, I can't say enough that in the school, this is one of the most helpful things. Every single time people say that over and over again. As we're moving through the course, they're saying, wow, I can't believe that, you know, initially I thought I needed a course just for procrastination or I worried if my issue would get enough attention. But by being with people from all over the world with all kinds of stuff, we come to see it's all the same. And it's so simple. It just all comes down to to being really identified with thought and believing what our mind is saying rather than being able to have have that river just flowing, you know, be in the feeling of that flowing river of life where we aren't freaking out and clenching and trying to fix and change everything, where we're a little more removed from it all. So for me, for uh, around binge eating, I mean, you know, it, it looked as it does, I think, to people like, I don't know what it looked like, but for sure there was a lot of, um, a lot of thoughts and opinions out there about this is this is about food or it's about this or it's about that and and all the ways i mean i tried everything to end this habit all the ways you can imagine all the little patches and band-aids i could just put on this i i all of them <laughs> and and ultimately um if we really break it down, it's like there was some thinking, just like with Jennifer, that felt absolutely real and true to me. There was some discomfort, let's say, and I'm kind of just making this up now, but I, I know that it, you know, I don't remember the specifics and the specifics don't matter, but there was some discomfort. I didn't feel like I thought I should feel in life. And so as all good minds do, my good mind said, well, we'll, we'll fix this for you. Don't worry. We're going to get to the bottom of this. You don't feel like like it looks like all your friends and colleagues and the rest of the world feels, well, why is that? You're not good enough. Oh, well, maybe you should lose some weight. Maybe you should get a better job. Maybe you should be a better person, be funnier, be kinder, whatever. And all of this thinking just rattled around and weighed me down over and over and over again. And again, this is what I mean when I say the stories don't matter. It doesn't matter. We can be weighed down by one little regret of, you know, one thing that we wish we had done different, we can be weighed down by a, a constant list of ways that we don't measure up. It's all the same. It's all a mind just 
just bashing us and telling us what's wrong and then giving us a solution to try to fix it. So in my case, I think it went something like, you know, there was a list of all these ways I was, wasn't good enough and that weighed me down and it hurt. And part of that list was, oh, and by the way, you should probably lose some weight. And so my sweet brain trying to help me knock some of these things off my list so I could finally be happy and be okay said, okay, well, let's just not eat for a little bit. Just go on a diet for a little bit. And that'll at least help this little problem over there. Then you'll probably feel a lot better. And again, for better or worse, unfortunately, it kind of worked for a minute. I, I was under all this pressure and I noticed that when I started to try to control food, when I distracted myself from all that pressure and said, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, focus everything on what I eat. And I'm going to start to just think about this and I'm going to not eat. And then that felt kind of good. It just sort of started to catch on. And now that looked like happiness, you know, was all the stuff around not eating. It looked like, hey, this kind of works. I feel better. I think I look better. It gives my mind something to do rather than tell me what a loser I am. We'll, we'll go with that for a little bit. But of course, that's a lot of willpower. It's a lot of effort. And life is too amazing and loving and intelligent to let us do that for long. So the less I ate, the more life came in and said, you must eat. This is not going to work. And the more just physically, obviously, bodies and brains are not okay with not eating. They are, thankfully, they are really bad at that. They're not okay with it. So they will come in on the other side and say, I don't know, she's not eating very much. Let's make sure she eats as much as she can possibly eat. And then that becomes a thing. And you know the whole cycle, right? So there was so much of that. And so much, uh, so much focus on the behavior and the feelings and how do I fix it and how do I change it? I was so in the middle of this giant web that it just kept getting heavier and heavier and worse and worse. And I don't know, Ken, it's a, it's a weird thing to talk about. I don't know exactly how this started to change, but I can tell you for me and for the people I've seen come through this, one of the major things that I started to see and that people often see is that this whole mental game of fixing and changing and good and bad and right and wrong and all of that is just what that machine does. It's just what that machine does. My mind was telling me I was such a loser because now I had this habit and I better control it. And all of my attempts to try to control it would backfire because they felt like pressure. You can't control life. We are not here to control life. So when we try to control life, it weighs us down. And then we look for ways to relieve that pressure, like binge eating or like procrastinating or like any issue that looks like, our, like the problem in our life. If we're trying to control life too much, we will go into depression because your body loves you and your brain loves you. And it says, we can't keep this up. So let's just shut down. So all of these things that look like problems to us, every habit, depression, all of this stuff that looks like the problem is really the solution. It's the solution in a sense. It's, it's, it's life trying to help us out. So I started to really explore this and see, wow, all of this thinking is, is just conversation. It's the narrator in my head. It's all about me. It's all of black and white. It's all right and wrong. It's all past and future. And that's just how minds talk. And beyond that, that's always going to happen. But beyond that, 
there's this health there. There's this peace. There were times for me and for everyone who's ever been caught up in any habit or addiction, there are times when we aren't feeling that. And that's what I got curious about. Rather than carrying around my bucket and saying, it's been eight years and here's how many binges I have every week. I kind of started to set that bucket aside and look at the river flowing and say, okay, yeah, that still looks really true to me. I'm not denying the past at all, my, my memory of it. But look, there's also times when it doesn't show up. And why is it different every time? And, and how come sometimes these thoughts can show up and just flow away and other times it feels like I have to do something about them? And it's like the foreground and the background kind of start to shift. I was so here with the thoughts and the feelings and the behaviors and how to fix them. And little by little, it's, and this is exactly how I see it for people all the time. It's almost like we just let go and we kind of fall back a little bit. And now, now we're in this bigger expansiveness of life where it's like, okay, I noticed this thought showing up. I noticed that feeling showing up, but they don't pull us around in the same way. You know, we aren't so bossed around and pulled around by all of this all the time. It got really simple. It looked like when I'm all caught up, I'm just all caught up. I don't need to run to anything to try to change that feeling. And in fact, this is a whole other conversation we get into a lot in the school. Like, do the things we run to really even do anything for us? Like, how much control do we really even have? I think the whole control thing is just an illusion as it is. So it's like resting in the space where experience is allowed to just be as it is. And there's so much peace in that. You still have low self-esteem thoughts. I certainly did. And I still do. So your mind will still go to those places, but your entire relationship with that gets to change. They don't, that doesn't have to feel so personal and gripping and true. I mean, you really start to see like, wow, that's a thought. That's a feeling. That's some energy. It doesn't demand anything from you. And and, you know, again, this might sound weird, but the best way I can describe it is it's like, we used to be like this, so in there clenched and need to manage life. And we start to see, well, life has no problem. And there's a lot in this that we can, that we do explore in the school. Every single thing that happens is fueled by a, a huge intelligence. Our brain doesn't do things for no good reason. Now, we don't understand the reason a lot, or we get mad at the reason. You know, we like, I, I knew there was probably a good reason behind my binging, but it didn't mean I liked it. I was still fighting against it and trying to manipulate it away. But, but what happens when we get this bigger understanding is we really kind of start to see, okay, there is just this beautiful intelligence to things that that's just, I didn't see it that way. You know, like it's all working the way it should. And there's something that happens to us when we see the logic. We love logic. When we see the logic in this and we see, wow, this is actually happening for me, that it just, again, softens all our fighting, all our resistance. And when we're soft and open, there's no habits. There's no anxiety. That doesn't mean habitual thoughts or anxious thoughts don't show up. It means we are not caught up in the cycle and the spiral of those things. They're just part of what shows up in life. Totally, totally different. So the last one I want to just briefly kind of talk through is just an example of anxiety. There have been so many people with different ways that anxiety shows up, panic attacks, OCD um, behaviors, phobias, all kinds of stuff um, that come through the school. And it's all the same, obviously. <laughs> uh, 
that's everything we talk about is the same. But um, there was one person in particular, Debbie, who I was thinking of for this example, where so much of her life was about my anxiety. And there was this way in which my anxiety was like, like, like her bucket, you know, it was something she really carried around. And it was very clearly to her a problem. Like I'm, I'd be fine. My life would be great if I didn't have this anxiety. So it was like the way she talked about it. And this is the way it feels to us is this anxiety is some outside invader, you know, that's following us around and just wreaking havoc on our lives. And we just need to, it's like a monster. We need to battle and fight. And I heard that so much in what Debbie was sharing. So from that perspective, you can see, you can feel how everything would be sort of willpower-ish. It looked like an enemy that shouldn't be here. So she would talk herself out of it. She would try to talk to it. She would surf the waves of anxiety, all kind of say, all with the, the mindset of, okay, it's almost over. It's almost over. It's kind of similar to white knuckling. She would do breathing exercises. She would try to reframe her thoughts. She said there was this, basically there was this monster of anxiety following her around and all she wanted was for it to be gone. But innocently, in all of the willpower tactics and methods that she learned, she was constantly pulling the monster in and saying, hey, what are we going to do about you? What are we going to do about you? You know, and so that's how this is when we're trying to fight and manipulate things. It's like we innocently have to keep looking at it. We're constantly in that bucket trying to solve it and fix it. So what Debbie really started to see in the school is that there, first of all, there isn't my anxiety. There's just life showing up. However life shows up, there's energy. Sometimes it's a fast energy. Sometimes it's a slow, peaceful energy. Sometimes it's a bored energy. It's anything. But it's just the flow of life. It's just energy. And then we have a mind, again, that tries to figure everything out, that comes over here and labels the energy. There's there's your anxiety again. There's your anxiety problem. There it is. Here it is over there. Uh-oh, you're starting to feel anxious. So, so Debbie started to really see, okay, yeah, there's stuff that happens physically. There's stuff that happens emotionally. That's true for every human on earth. And then, and then this little mind of mine wants to help me figure things out, wants to control so badly that it will label everything. And it's always on the lookout for my anxiety. And when it's on the lookout for my anxiety, it's going to find it. it. Mine would too. Yours would too, right? That's just how that works. So rather than I'm a Debbie with anxiety and we need to fix this problem, it started to loosen up to where it's like, okay, there's just life happening. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, there's conversation about it. But this is where we start to really deeply see things in a really, really different way, which I just, I don't know, I can't even say enough, like how that alone, your relationship with your experience is everything, everything. So she she started to see it's not, high anxiety. It's not something I need to fix. And it's not something that shouldn't be happening. You know, her, her mind had this habit of just running hot and looking for things that might go wrong. That's a habit that minds have. It's very protective. But when we understand that, when we kind of see it insightfully and we see that it's on our side, again, the big thing for Debbie and for a lot of people is this is a problem that shouldn't be happening, but it's not a problem that shouldn't be happening. It's a natural, safe thing that the energy fall, rises and falls all by itself. 
And when we have this bigger understanding of it, we just get to have a really, really, really different experience of it. So feelings, thoughts, all of that show up for as long as they need to show up. But our relationship with them comes to be really, really different. So I know this was um, a lot of me talking and a lot of kind of high level in these different areas. And, and you know, just as a disclaimer, like I know minds, if your mind, your mind is listening to this saying, okay, what do I do? What do I do? How do I see it that way? How does this work? Like, tell me what to do. And I just, that's exactly how, what a mind does with this is it wants to know how and why and on what timeline and how long is it going to take? And is it going to work for me? So that's, that's sort of the thing. That's what a mind does. And that's what we start to see a lot more about. But, but this no willpower approach that we use in the little school of big change, it's not about answering all those questions. It's, they're not answerable questions. They're, they don't need answers. They're just a mind wanting to control everything. It's kind of using that to say, oh, see, there it is again. There's your mind that's been trying to use willpower and control everything for you. Let's, let's just come back here and explore what else there is and see what's there beyond this mind, you know, needing answers. So I know that often this can feel super vague initially, like, I don't know what to do with that. And of course, because we're, we're contrasting it with willpower, which is like, here's my strategy. Here's my days of the week. Here's my plan. You know, it's a, it's completely, it's hundred percent different, 180 degree difference. But I hope you have a sense, just even, even if it's a super vague sense that actually this no willpower approach is how we've been living our lives forever. We have a mind that's always talking, but, but we're being lived. And we for sure lived this way when we were younger, before we got really identified with our mind. And if there's even just a sense of how this more relaxed approach of with life can help things fall away. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's what you want to kind of hold on to is just that sense that this is different. And that even if your mind can't figure out how to put it into action, it, 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 it absolutely would naturally change habits and anxiety and so many struggles. It would have to, it would have to, because there's no pushing, there's no manipulation. Oh, I mentioned in the beginning that because of the five-year anniversary of the Little School Big Change, you can start the school if you haven't been through it yet. Um, you can see what all the hype's about and you can start it absolutely free. Um, and, and after this class, you're going to get an email that shows you where to go to do that. So I really encourage you to do that because you have nothing to lose. I mean, again, you can just check it out and, and see if you get a good feel for things. And even as I say a good feel, I mean, just a sense of like, okay, there's, there could be something to this because it really is so, so different. Um, the school works in two different ways. So there is a, uh, a guided course that I lead twice each year. I lead it in the fall, North America, fall and spring, uh, flipped for some of you. Um, but I lead it usually in September and usually in like February, March. Um, so the next guided course is starting February 12th. And it's a six-week course where you go through the whole curriculum kind of on your own. We, you go through a little bit each week. And then we have two calls each week where there's a ton of coaching and conversation and, and exploring this stuff more deeply. And that, those calls are really where this comes to life. So it's where you see people from all over the world 
sharing and, you know, bringing up their issues and you start to see, wow, this is really simple. These habits and these things that have felt so personal and so shameful, like I need to fight them. They're not as they appear. And you see that in each other. You see that really in seeing and in watching other people and seeing that the answer is always the same. It's always that we're caught up in thought and we don't see it as thought. It's always that things are okay and it just doesn't look that way to us. And that the more we relax, the more everything starts to right itself because that is our nature. The more our health comes to the surface, the more our mind naturally clears that we do not have to work so hard to manage our experience at all. We don't have to do anything to manage our experience. We really don't. And all of our attempts to control and manage get us deeper into it. So anyway, the, um, the guided course, which I only do twice a year, is starting September 12th. Um, and you also get 24-7 forum support. And there's just a ton of support and interaction and community in that course. And you can also go through the Little School of Big Change uh, as a self-study. So in that case, you go through the curriculum on your own. Um, you don't have the calls and the support and all of that, but you have all the content and you can kind of go through it on your own and do it at, at your own time. And for people who go through the self-study, you can always uh, opt to join us for the guided course. You just kind of pay the difference. So you can, you can do both or either. The Little School of Big Change Fall 2020 course starts in just three weeks. If you're ready to stop fighting against life and see more about the impersonal, fluid nature of things, I'd love for you to join me in the guided course. You'll have lifetime access to the brand new and improved LSBC curriculum. You'll have 12 live calls with me. You'll get coaching and conversation anytime you want it on our private forum throughout the six-week course and a lot more. We're so confident that the school will help you that we offer a money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. Head over to thelittleschoolofbigchange.com to save your seat. And I would really love to support you in the class this fall.